Outside the box. Hello, Hannah here, and welcome to this month's Outside the Box. In radically unconventional style, I'm actually by myself this month. Mickey has not been able to watch much TV for reasons, although now I'm thinking this is quite weird, me just talking to myself. I might just project it at Joan. Joan, I've got some telly recommendations for you. The important thing to say, though, is please keep listening, because you'll give me a massive complex if you stop listening because it's me on my own, and also keep listening because I have some decent recommendations of some great stuff to watch on television. I do. Sorry, I added that like I was talking to Joan. Yes, I do. I do have some good recommendations. You're a good girl. Anyway, I want to start off by talking about the Emmy nominations. I've got kind of a love-hate relationship with the Emmy nominations. They can be very, very, very wrong. A lot of the time they're very wrong. They can also fixate on some British TV shows way beyond when most critics and indeed a lot of the audience has generally agreed that these shows are past their sell-by date. great example of this is obviously Downton Abbey. But I noticed they've also started to do it with Killing Eve. I saw the first series of Killing Eve, wasn't blown away, and all reports suggest that the second series was in no way as good And yet, here it is still popping up, when, on the other hand, David Simon, America's mirror, as I like to think of him, has two incredible series that were eligible for nomination this year, the third and final series of The Deuce, and also his miniseries, The Plot Against America, which I will be talking about later. And yet, nothing for David Simon, nothing for Zoe Kazan or John Turturro, both of whom are amazing in The Plot Against America, and like I say, I will get to that. But also nothing for Emily Mead and nothing for Maggie Gyllenhaal for The Deuce, uh, both of which I consider to be seriously erroneous decisions on their part. That said, when Emmy does get things right, it does get them very right. And the real winner, certainly in terms of nominations, is Damon Lindelof's Watchmen, which was absolutely tremendous, probably along with Succession and Chernobyl, just absolute top tier television last year and Watchmen has really cleared up here and that's great because what the Emmys got wrong previously was it gave The Leftovers categorically the best TV series of the 21st century and gave it zero absolutely squat and like I think 23 in total I should have written this down a lot of nominations for Watchmen so if you can get it I believe it's still on Sky you might be able to get it on Now TV maybe even buy it. If you're a fan of uh, the superhero ilk, you will probably enjoy it. But what I will say is, if you're not, and I'm not, you will still enjoy it, because it's absolutely cracking. I will be gobsmacked if Regina King does not walk away with the Best Actress Award in September. Also, in the Supporting Actor Award, Yaha Abdul-Mateen III, Lou Gossett Jr. and Jovan Adipo all nominated for their role in Watchmen, so Sad that they're up against each other. Interestingly, fact fans, here's one for you. Lou Gossett Jr., Jovan Adipo. First time ever two people have been nominated for playing the same character. So there you go. Okay, let's go on to what's actually on the television at the moment. I'm going to start with There She Goes, a British sitcom currently on the iPlayer. I'm not sure if... I don't tend to watch television as much 
when it's actually on TV, so I don't know if it's been on television in its entirety yet. Certainly still on the iPlayer, as is the first series, if you've not seen that. I think you've probably, if you're going to start somewhere, I would suggest that you start with the first series, because characters develop a lot in this, and I think that you would lose something by starting in the middle. I mean, I generally believe that, of anything, but I think it's particularly true of There She Goes. Uh, series 1 was massively critically acclaimed. It was made by Sharon Hawkins Merman. It won Jessica Hines a BAFTA. The first series, it's now moved from BBC Four to BBC Two. It's still only five parts, which is odd. I don't know. I've never known a sitcom come in five before, but it doesn't really matter, other than it will be nice to have more of it. It's about a family's experience of raising a child who is severely learning disabled, which sounds very earnest. It is most certainly not earnest. It was written by Sean Pye based on his own experiences. His daughter also has a chromosomal disorder. He said that he didn't want to create something that was really saccharine view of what life was like, but he also wanted something that represented how genuinely wonderful he found life with his daughter. I suppose what you would call his role, it's it's not, obviously. It's a fictionalisation. Simon is played by David Tennant, and Emily, his wife, is played by Jessica Hines, as I've mentioned. It takes part in two time frames, one that is generally considered the present, although I think it's technically 2017, and one that is in the past. And it's that, actually, which really allows Tennant and Hines to really open up their acting chops. I mean, I've talked about this before, but I think Jessica Hines is probably one of the most underrated actors we've got in this country. Everybody assumes she's great at comedy, but she is actually also brilliant serious drama actress and in the past timeline in the dark timeline Simon is an absolute dick which David Tennant does tremendously well and Emily is utterly broken by the scale of the task ahead of her and it's got a great support cast Nigel Planer, Philip Jackson, Horrible Histories, Ben Willabond is their next door neighbour who I mean just watch it he's terrific also, Eden Mayhurst, their elder son, Ben, he's often overlooked. Obviously, I think that happens a lot to children who have uh, another sibling with special needs, and he's completely brilliant. But I have to say, if we're going to talk about being completely brilliant in this, none of this would work if it wasn't for Miley Locke, who plays the older Rosie in Series 1 and Series 2. I didn't, When they were casting this, they had an idea that they might try and get an actor who had similar needs to Rosie, but then came to the conclusion it was too much pressure, long working hours, and it would be too much for them. So they went with uh, Miley Locke, and she is totally great. And if she didn't pull that performance off, everything else would be for naught. So, yeah, well done her, um, well done everyone involved. I would tuck into that if you haven't already. Let's move to, on to something else that's on BBC Mrs. America or Mrs. Feminism, as we've started calling it on Standard Issue, which is a one-off series you will currently find on the iPlayer, or I believe it's showing on a Wednesday night, maybe it's a Wednesday night, I don't know, on the BBC. Again, I watched it online in two chunks, I think maybe three chunks, so I don't know how far on ahead it is. I'm not going to put any spoilers in it. Mrs. America has actually picked up a number of Emmy nominations, including ones for Margot Martindale, Kate Blanchett, Uzo Adubo and Tracy Ullman, all of which are well-deserved. It is the dramatisation of the moves to ratify the Equal Rights Act in America in the 1970s, which everyone initially assumed was going to be a piece of piss, because nobody particularly objected 
to this until along came a backlash led by a conservative, small c, conservative woman, Phyllis Schlafly, who managed to bolster a lot of support and make this an absolute pitch battle for women's rights in America. It put her at odds with a, a lot of the biggest names in feminism. I know. Guessing you probably know who most of these people are. Betty Friedan, Gloria Steinem, Jill Ruckelshouse, Shirley Chisholm. I really, really enjoyed this. It's got some really great performances in it. It looks absolutely gorgeous. Who doesn't like a trip to the 1970s? It's not entirely historically correct, but it doesn't pretend to be. I have been reading, I've been talking about this. I don't know why anyone thinks it'd be interesting, but I'll continue to talk about this. I've been reading Ulysses S. Grant's autobiography, and in it he talks about when Robert E. Lee surrendered to him at Appomattox, uh, ending, effectively ending the American Civil War. Ulysses S. Grant at the, went on to be president at the time was the leading the Army of the North, and Robert E. Lee was leading the Confederates. And in it, he says a thing about how when he met Robert E. Lee, that it was really, really hard not to feel something for him, some degree of some sort of respect or admiration for a man. And this is what he said, for a man that had fought so long and so hard and so bravely for his cause, even if that cause was the worst cause that a man has ever fought for in history. And I kind of feel weirdly like that about Phyllis Schlafly, I have to say. It's it's odd that a woman who basically was working very, very hard to take what were effectively my rights away, and at the same time it's hard not to be impressed by how she rallied her troops and ironically kind of created working women and feminists, which isn't just a point that I notice, it's a point actually that characters do actually make in it themselves i also promised a story about when i spoke to gloria steinem in this and it's what's interesting about this when i spoke to gloria steinem a long time ago i was at an event and uh, they asked if anybody had any questions i put my hand up and i was the only person with my hand up which was fucking insane and therefore we had somewhat of a conversation rather than uh, a question and answer and i asked her if the republican party was forever lost to women she actually mentioned jill ruckel's house in her answer and said you know the republicans used to have feminists in it and that she hoped one day that they would have feminists again so there you go there's my my fun gloria steinem story this is america is in 10 parts uh, originally made by fx well, loads of other great people in there john slattery sarah paulson elizabeth banks it's got episodes directed by amara santi i mean it's great since I haven't got anyone to discuss this with here, if you want to discuss it with me, I am on Twitter at that Dunleavy. I am going to go and feed my cats because they're driving me fucking mad. And then I will be back. I also close that window so you can't hear my neighbour's children screeching. And then I will be back to talk about Perry Mason and the plot against America, both of which I'm enjoying very much. Hello, I'm back. I'm not going to lie to you. My neighbours haven't got any quieter in the 15 minutes I just took to uh, make a cup of tea. In fact, if anything, given one of them's just got a power saw out, they've got a lot noisier. So let's see how this goes. As I promised, I wanted to talk about a couple of dramas that are on Sky. I don't know how many of you guys get Sky. I also don't know if they're available on now. But I'm going to talk about them anyway because I think they're interesting. And if you do have the opportunity to watch them, you should certainly take it. So let's start with The Plot Against America, which is a miniseries 
based on, I think they call it a limited series now, don't they? I've given away my 80s childhood there. It's a mini-series by David Simon, who is a name you should all know, and long-time collaborator Ed Burns. And it's based on 2004 novel by Philip Roth. Now, I don't know if you can remember, but when we were talking about This Much I Know Is True, I was pondering why certain books took a long time to turn into television series or films and how I'm always slightly suspicious. If it's an old book, it gives me the idea that perhaps it wasn't that good a book. Or secondly, it's entirely unfilmable. So yeah, 2004 novel by Philip Roth. Why has it been hanging around for such a long time, waiting for people to make it? Well, if I tell you what it's about, you may be able to work that out yourself. Plot Against America is an alternate history, presuming that the 1940 presidential election was not won by Franklin D. Roosevelt, but by aviator, xenophobe and populist Charles Lindbergh. Now, before your brain immediately leaps into some kind of, but that would never happen idea, it's actually not that crazy an idea. I know um, I talk about FDR quite a lot, and I certainly give the impression that he was incredibly popular, which he was amongst people who liked him. But he was a very divisive figure. It was very much you loved him or you hated him. And uh, by 1940, there were a lot of people in America who did hate him. Also, he had broken. It wasn't yet the law that presidents wouldn't stand for more than two terms. It was very much considered a gentleman's agreement. And he was breaking that by standing in the 1940 election. And also at the time, America was very much isolationist. The population did not want to get involved in the Second World War. In fact, before America was officially involved in the Second World War, which, as you'll know, took the bombing of Pearl Harbor to give Roosevelt the excuse he needed, he had actually secretly supplied the British without the American public's knowledge. Anyway, minor history lesson there. But, you know, it feels kind of topical when you start to use the words xenophobe and populist. Anyway, it focuses on a Jewish family, the Levins. Obviously, it's based partly on the childhood of Philip Roth himself. Morgan Spector and Zoe Kazan play a couple. They've got two sons. They're also raising one of their nephews. And their world begins to change quite considerably, given that the new president, he isn't just not fighting Hitler. He's also not fighting Hitler's ideas. Zoe Kazan has worked with David Simon before, obviously, in The Deuce, and as ever, there are a couple of familiar faces in here. Michael Kostroff from The Wire is in here, David Krumholtz, who is also in The Deuce. Some new actors for him. Winona Ryder plays Bess's unmarried older sister, Evelyn, who enters into a relationship with a rabbi, played by John Turturro, who is actually on the side of Lindbergh. I want to try and do this in a spoiler-free fashion, but I will pre-warn you, it's dark. It is very dark. In fact, the last hour is almost unbearably tense, and given what happens through a huge chunk of it is a road trip through what can only really be described as the dark heart of America. It is very, very effective. I'm kind of terrifying as you see life for Jews deteriorate in the US. It's worth pointing out, though, as well, that a lot of the things that happen in this that you might think, oh, my God, you know, thank God this is an alternate history and that never happened, did actually happen, but not necessarily to Jews. I mean, resettlement happened to Native Americans It happened to the Japanese during the Second World War. Obviously, segregation was a real thing. So I think it's a a powerful reminder that 
the worst case scenario doesn't always happen in fiction. It sometimes plays out in real life too. There's some really great performances in this. Zoe Kazan, as I mentioned earlier when I was talking about the Emmys, is absolutely proper robbed here. She deserved one, if not just for a scene in which she takes a phone call from a terrified child who is on their own and she has to attempt to calm him down while all hell is breaking out at her end of the phone call. She has to tell this little boy that everything's going to be okay, even though she really does realise at that point it's it's probably not. David Simon's stuff is often quite inaccessible. Jen and I were talking about The Deuce and how The Deuce is his most accessible work today. I would say that this actually goes even further. If you want to jump in and watch some David Simon, this would certainly be the place to start. Morgan Spector also really, really great in this as a man who just can't not speak his mind in a world that has very real repercussions when a Jewish man speaks his mind. And I'm going to say, living in a world at the moment where the row about freedom of speech is literally raging on, I think this is a useful reminder. It's not just people who want to be able to say racist stuff at will that need to think about the protection of freedom of speech. So, yeah, really interesting stuff. Great work. That's The Plot Against America. You will find it on Sky. Also on Sky, let's talk Perry Mason. To be clear, to start off with, I have never seen Perry Mason, the original television series. I'm guessing it's absolutely nothing alike because that was on in the afternoon and this has dead babies and a man being literally shagged off a bed. I'm guessing it bears very little similarities whatsoever. In fact, what it essentially is, is a dark as fuck origin story about how Perry Mason came to become a lawyer. It's HBO. It's directed by Tim Van Patten, who has directed an enormous amount of great television, including, amongst other stuff, Boardwalk Empire. And that will probably explain why this feels slightly Boardwalk Empire. It's also got a touch of LA Confidential about it, given it's set in LA in a kind of very gumshoe world, a very corrupt police officer world. Um, It's also set in the 1930s, you know, it's a Depression-era drama. There are elements about the rise of radio and also the rise of evangelical Christians. So, in many ways, it also feels like Carnival. All of those are good things to be reminded of. So, if you like any of those things, you'll probably enjoy Perry Mason. Perhaps because I'm watching it week by week, the plot actually seems quite complicated. I have to concentrate on it quite a lot. I have to try and remember what people's names are from week to week, and I actually feel at parts like I should be keeping notes. That's not a criticism. That's just a fact. Perry Mason originally was going to be played by Robert Downey Jr. He remains on board as a producer. But for whatever reason, uh, Robert Downey Jr. didn't go ahead with the role. And instead, Matthew Reese. Hey! was cast and this is just absolutely the best I cannot imagine Robert Downey Jr. in this role at all Robert Downey Jr. is is too too famous he has too much of a Hollywood sheen on him now Matthew Reese is just the right sort of mix of incredibly talented but he can pass as a member of the great unwashed and he is totally brilliant in this Matthew Reese talking of totally brilliant Canada's finest Tatiana Maslany also in this as sister Alice a preacher who comes into our, our hero's orbit. Juliet Rylance plays Secretary Della Street, the only other character name I even recognised in this. She actually has real depth and nuance here. It, it, this character is not the indispensable administrator. She is very much the 
operator and I use that in the best sense of the word. She knows how to get shit done and it's a very impressive performance. Also, Gail Rankin, who plays a mother charged with murder. Perry Mason is is charged with defending. Gail Rankin, you may know as Sheila the She-Wolf from GLOW. So far, that's an Englishwoman, a Scotswoman, a Welshman and a Canadian. Are there any Americans in it? Not just are there any Americans, there is the greatest, the greatest working American, Stephen Root, in his top form smarmy as a DA who is Mason's nemesis. This has already been renewed for a second series. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say now, this strikes me as a series that is going to be absolutely terrific. But it, you have to kind of stick with the first series and just plough on. That's how Boardwalk Empire was at the start. and Boardwalk Empire turned into a, an absolute work of art. So if you have the patience for that and you want to stick it. I mean, I am enjoying it and it is good, but I I get the feeling there is way, way, way better stuff to come down the line. So a couple more things I just wanted to mention briefly. Omit the Logic, the Richard Pryor documentary, which is very interesting, is currently on Sky Documentaries. And also, I mean, far be it from me to tell anyone to give money to Disney. We all know what I think of Disney. But for £5.99, you can actually get a month's membership of the Disney Channel and watch Hamilton, which I have now done three times. It is absolutely worth the money. You will not be disappointed. I'll be back next month where we'll be talking about Harlots, possibly. Probably Harlots. And some other stuff as well. And hopefully might have some news on things starting filming again. As we know... Glow Season 4, Succession Season 3, Unforgotten Season 4 and Fargo Season 4 all were mid-filming when coronavirus hit and had to shut down. So maybe I'm being optimistic to say they might be some of the first stuff back filming again. But perhaps that's just because that's the stuff I'm actually looking forward to most. I don't know. Perhaps that is wishful thinking on my part. Anyway, if you want to talk about anything that I've said, maybe just narrow it to that. Although also I am interested in stories about cats. I am at that Dunleavy. Until next time. Outside the box.